growing up, I would never sing that song because I couldn't do it. Fell down a jazz rabbit hole this last week. Don't know quite how it happened, but here's what we discovered, right? The NewYorkJazzWorkshop.com asked a question, what is jazz? And they uh, interviewed a, a great number of luminaries in the jazz world, and, and, and one individual said, uh, well, I, I think you have, you have swing, okay? Swing is a component of jazz, okay? And for most of you, you, you have no idea what that word means. And I certainly have no idea of how to express it, but it's a central component. I love jazz, but I can't swing. I can't, I can't. It's, it's the way you feel the music, right? Okay, so swing is a key component. There's this sense of syncopation to jazz, okay, according to this one individual. The, the sense of surprise, the sense of something unexpected will happen. And then a key element of jazz, according to this individual, is an element of the blues. Others talked about the language of the spirit, I feel like my wings are flapping if I don't button this button. I don't like the button button down on the wrist. My father-in-law taught me this. This one, it's too restrictive, okay? But if you leave this one unbuttoned, then you just feel like a, I don't know, a turkey vulture or something. Just like, it just like you're, you're not quite, you got to have at least this one done, right? That's extra. You don't have to pay for that. <laughs> Jazz, the language of the spirit, the closest thing to the heart. One individual said, jazz is when you take music, make it your own, and give it to someone else. Jazz is the universe. All that, again, from NewYorkJazzWorkshop.com. So a couple years ago, I find myself at the Snug Harbor Jazz Club. Some of you, I've told this story. It's a great story, and it fits into this. And, and, and Will had wanted to go to New Orleans, okay? It's not New Orleans. It's New Orleans, okay? And, and, and he had wanted, he wanted to hear good music. So he stopped in Memphis, didn't really like the Memphis vibe. Beale Street, uh, no, but Snug Harbor Jazz Club, 626 Frenchman Street, spring of 2020. Delfio Marsalis. I knew the last name. I didn't know the first name. Delfio is one of six brothers, four of whom are musicians. You probably know Branford, who's 61, plays the sax. Winton, arguably the most famous, is on the trumpet. Delfio is 56, the crackerjack of the group, plays the trombone. And Jason, the younger brother, 44, plays percussion, the vibes. There's also one poet, Ellis III, he's 57, and Maboya, who is 50, who is autistic. They are the progeny of Ellis Jr. and Dolores Marsalis. So we're sitting there on a Wednesday night. Snug Harbor Jazz Club, 626 Frenchman Street. Might have been a Thursday. Might have been, I don't know what night of the week it was, quite frankly. We're, we're sitting in the balcony, okay? And if you've ever been at the Snug Harbor Jazz Club, and I know I've told some of this, but the story is, it's, it's, it's really, really tight. I mean, it's like, it's like you are cramming a whole bunch of people into a small space, and then you have a second-layer balcony, and we're sitting in the first row of the balcony, and you could look down, and the, the band, the stage was right there. It was absolutely, it was magic. I, I heard it, I saw it, I believed it, and even so, I'm not quite sure what I experienced, or was it even real? That Delfio... Marsalis is just one cool cat. His band was absolutely amazing. The horn lines. He did have a pianist who was a student at a, a university further north, which isn't a hard thing to do when you're in New Orleans, who didn't quite get the vibe, the feel, the swing. 
And, and he would point that out from time to time. Sometimes I think we take our faith and we try to define it, okay? We try to put it in these neat little, and, and we even have a, a field of study called systematic theology, okay, where we, we organize things around the love of God or we organize things around the sovereignty of God or the grace of God or the mercy of God. And, and those are worthwhile pursuits and systematic theologians are wonderful, wonderful people. But sometimes I think we should approach faith a little bit more like jazz, the text today, 1004, is the page number. Verse 1, chapter 7, we've been promising for weeks. Melchizedek, today is the day. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings. I just love that phrase, slaughter of the kings. And blessed him, and to Abraham appointed, apportioned, a tenth part of everything. He... Melchizedek is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. Now check this out. He is without father or mother, what? Or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Part of the deeper, you want to add ER. I made an error on the outline. It's not the deep magic, it's the deeper magic, C.S. Lewis, the unwritten rules, if you will, the govern Narnia. This Melchizedek, the text says, which instantly invites my brain to go, were there other Melchizedeks? Th this one. Is there this category of, of holy men, this Melchizedekian vibe, right? This tribe of Melchizedekians, okay? This category, I, I don't know. And, and the text isn't clear. He was certainly one of them. How many existed is unknown. What they did generally is unknown. But, but there's something extraordinary because this guy that appears ever so briefly in the Old Testament casually in the book of Psalms, a little more fully in the book of Genesis, but really we don't know a lot about him. And basically the writer of Hebrews is saying it is critical that you understand who this cat is. Abraham. He blessed Abraham. He blessed the God Most High. He was a priest of God Most High. He was about righteousness. He was about peace. Melchizedek, the back part of his name, Z-E-D-E-K, literally is the Hebrew word for righteousness. When we say he's the king of righteousness, king of Salem, are, th are, these, are these physical places? Unlikely, maybe, but unlikely. There's this emphasis on a spiritual state over the physical state. And man, do we miss this one to this day. We are so preoccupied with the physical state, we lose sight of the spiritual state. He, he lives, he's a king of, he has mastered right living. He has mastered living right. He has mastered being righteousness. 
And we could stop there. And it's enough of an example to challenge us for the rest of our lives. Of all the things that we want to be good at, of all the wealth we want to accumulate, of all the lifestyle that we want to live, of the families we want to build, of the jobs we want to possess, do we aspire, and I say this to my own soul more than I say it to anyone else in this room, do I aspire to living right? Do I aspire to being a king of righteousness? Melchizedek, literally king of righteousness. Also king of Salem, king of peace. Now some people go, okay, well, Salem, shortened version of Jerusalem. Okay, okay fine, if you want to go there, that's, that's probably not consistent. But, but if you want to go there, that's fine. But, but literally, king of Salem means king of peace. Again, I would argue it's less about the physical. If you want to see that he's the king of Jerusalem, eh, I don't see it. Commentators, eh, probably not. But if you want to go there, that's fine. But know that he is the king of peace. Again, he lives in a state of peace. He is a master of peace. He is a ruler of peace. He, 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 he has this vibe, this standard of peace. And at least for me, it is at times so hard to imagine this. The king of peace, the prince of peace, the royal court of God, a place characterized by peace, characterized by righteousness. Again, the world in which we live invites us to anything but peace. We're invited to look at one another and see the worst. We're invited to look at each other and see the challenges that exist, see where we disagree, and then we want to fight. I had a great conversation this last week with a friend of mine, and I did something via text that, that I've done before, and I know I've done it with you. Are we willing to center ourselves on the pursuit of peace? So play along with me, if you will. If you don't, that's fine. I understand. Lots of people don't want to play with me. I get no all the time. Just sit comfortably, close your eyes. Be in a comfortable posture. And imagine breathing in the peace of God. Imagine exhaling anger and anxiety and fear and frustration. Imagine breathing in the peace of God, the very breath of the Holy Spirit. 
and exhale all the things that we think are important that really aren't. Are you willing this week, am I willing this week to breathe in peace? Are we willing to to breathe in peace and right living? The author of Hebrews continues and says that this cat, this cat is priest of God Most High. Okay, now now this is long before the nation of Israel, right? You understand that, right? Okay, this guy is priest of God Most High. He's talking to Abraham, okay? Abraham has a child, Isaac. Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. Jacob's sons, Israel's sons, okay, become the Israelites, right? Okay? This is long before that. The Israelites, the 12 tribes, one of the 12 tribes is the tribe of Levi, who are the priests for the Israelites, the sons and progeny of Jacob slash Israel, okay? This is long before that long before there is a priest in the Israelite sense of that word, there is this cat. This is the one who met that Abraham dude. And then, kind of like jazz, there's this description that kind of doesn't make sense at all. No father or mother? What? No beginning of days? No ending of days? What? Resembles the Son of God, a a priest forever? A great man. Verse 4, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. You don't give your money away to a yahoo. Well, well, some people actually do. If I launch down that road, you'll get really mad at me really quick, so I'll just stay away from it, right? We just kind of have fun with that, right? Abraham didn't give his money away to a Yahoo. I don't give my money away to a Yahoo. You run into this dude, and it's like running into a jazz musician. I'm not totally sure how to express this. The, the, the explanations almost don't seem to make sense. But this is actually amazing. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And the descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they are also descended from Abraham, 
But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises, a tenth of the spoils. It's the inauguration of how people in full-time vocational service put food on the table. It's right there. It's, it's about as logical as it can get. This idea of tithing, this idea of giving a portion. Abraham's like, here, here's a portion of what I have. I want to give to you Melchizedek. And again, this was before the Levitical priesthood started. This, this behavior that Melchizedek and Abraham engage in would be followed by the sons of Jacob slash Israel to support the people who are working for the gospel of Jesus. Not at that time, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would be our current iteration of it. Supporting the work of God. What happens here? What happens in any vibrant local church? Is people, all of us, supporting the work, the effort? And to be certain, I cannot think of a better place or an idea in which to invest. I, I really can't. And please, I'm not asking for money. I'm just telling you what the book says. I'm not asking for money. Don't get jammed up and say I'm asking for money. I'm not asking for money. I'm just telling you what the book says. Another way of looking at this, and this is a bit more challenging. I'm going to jam, jam you up a little bit here. There is much made these days of people wanting to seize the religious high ground. But before someone wants to defend me, demands that they're going to defend me, I kind of want to know, how much do you give? And the reason why I want to know that is because it's a reflection of the heart. A heart that is truly turned towards God has this posture that is, among other things, okay? It's not just solely, okay? Someone can write big checks and not have a heart towards God. Completely, 100% agree. So it's not the only thing, but it is part of the thing. A heart that is truly turned towards God has a posture that is, among other things, generous to God. Jesus put it like this, where your money is invested, it'll show the place of your heart. This behavior would be codified for the nation of Israel. The people would give to the Levites. The Levites would give to the Aaronic Aaron priests in a reflection of giving to God. Tithing for Abraham is part and parcel of being blessed by God and being a blessing. Many of you that know, know that I don't know what people give at Timberwood Church. I know that Timberwood Church is a very generous place. We're at a place where we are in a beautiful building, on beautiful ground, in a beautiful community but I don't know what people give at Timberwood Church. I keep that information from my eyes. I know what I give. And I give at a level that forces me to make a choice. If I give this amount to God, that means I can't spend it someplace else. And I do that because it reminds me of what he has done. It reminds me of my position 
It reminds me that I am not God, I am less. And it is a tangible reflection of my heart. And so I would submit to you, if you don't give, start. And if you do give, give more. Because a generous heart is a good thing to have before a generous God. The text continues, verse 7. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Okay, now here i got to take a little bit of issue with the author of Hebrews because actually if you read the Genesis account, okay, it says that Melchizedek blesses Abraham, the greater blessing the inferior, right? But it also says that, he, that Melchizedek blessed God, okay? So you're like, okay, wait a second here. A little bit of fun with our author of Hebrews. Okay, we get what he's saying, right? Or what she is saying, that Melchizedek, the superior, is blessing the inferior Abraham. This Melchizedek, this king of righteousness, this king of Salem, this king of priests, king of peace, this priest of the most high God, is blessing Abraham. The text wants us to hang tight. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. Okay, that's referring to the future practice that we still engage in today. But in another case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. That's referring to Melchizedek and what Abraham did. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham which is just an absolutely mind-blowingly intriguing statement. Levi, who does not yet exist, is somehow viewed as part of Abraham, and Abraham is paying tithes to Melchizedek. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? Because... I mean, this cat isn't even a twinkle in his parents' eye, and the text says, and by cat I mean Levi, not Melchizedek, which is a cool cat. See the difference between the two, right? You're with me. Levi's not even a twinkle in his parents' eyes, and, and, and God says, the writer of Hebrews is arguing, there is this spiritual connectivity that exists, and it apparently goes this way and this way down a genealogical progression. Again, so much that the text doesn't tell you, so much of the deeper magic that I'm like, whoa, no, I want more. All this is to say the writer is using the street cred of Melchizedek's reputation, of his existence, and in doing so, is making this case for Christ. That Melchizedek, an eternal high priest, not in the line of Levi or Aaron, but in the line of Melchizedek, to whom Abraham himself paid respect, honor, and homage. You might say the Levites were a big, big deal, but Abraham was a bigger deal, right? And you might be tempted to say Abraham was a big deal, maybe as big a deal as it got. But Melchizedek is even bigger. And you gain this powerful sense 
of who this Melchizedek character was in the history of the people of God. A giant. An absolutely, completely, totally cool cat. Really beyond description. And to that, the author of Hebrews will say, and Jesus was even bigger. Please pray with me. Right living, peace, tithing. Some concepts are easier than others, right? For some of us, it's so easy to write a check, and it's so hard to live right. For some of us, it's easy to think of ourselves as being at peace. But are we really at peace if we don't honor God with what he's given us? Like every Sunday, allow the text, not me, allow the text to challenge our behavior. Challenge how we think about life. Challenge how we do life. And may we discover in the text the coolest cat of all. Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith.